Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' strong name we pray, amen. What he heard is hard to describe. It was like a swishing, gurgling sound. His sense of hearing, his sense of smell was heightened because of the darkness. And we won't even talk about the smells. There was a swishing. And there was a fluid movement. Of course, it was all fluid in there. Jonah found himself in the belly of the beast. The belly of the fish, some would say it was like a sea monster. And for 72 hours, for three days and three nights, Jonah would be stuck, cramped inside the belly of the beast. Have you ever been outside in a cave, perhaps, someplace where it is just very, very dark? When I was a youth pastor, I took kids down to Mexico to build homes. You must be desperate for a home when you ask a youth group to come build it, but that's another story. And we went down, and one of the things we did when we came back to the States is we made our ways to Carlsbad Cavern. And on the tour of Carlsbad, at one point, they turn all the lights off and let you stand in utter darkness. And that's what I picture it must have been like for Jonah, the prophet, as he's in the belly of the beast, darkness. And perhaps every once in a while, maybe as the fish made its way to the surface, you know how when you take a a flashlight and you can shine it through, you know, your fingers, you put them together and you get that red glow with a really strong light. Maybe that occurred somewhat. I have no idea. And this, it was the part of the story where people start to say, is this true? Can somebody really live in the belly of a beast for three days, three nights. And this is the part of the story where people start to wrestle. And this is, by the way, uh, a part of a place of contention amongst biblical scholars. And these are all, by the way, scholars that are uh, Bible-believing, Jesus-following scholars. And they divide as to whether Jonah is a real historical story or if it's like a parable. It's a story that's told to us of something that really didn't happen, but it's something that is to teach us something. And it's this part of the story where we see Jonah the prophet in the belly of the beast composing beautiful Hebrew poetry where people think, that's odd. Have you ever realized that the Bible's weird? It's full of strange, crazy stories. And by the way, whether you believe this really happened or whether it's a parable, it really doesn't you know, become a test of fellowship like some think it becomes. Because uh, if God can raise a man from the dead, he could, definitely, he could definitely sustain somebody's life for three days, three nights in the belly of a beast. 
And Jonah is here, and he's writing intricate Hebrew poetry. Now, if it is a true story, the only way that the narrator of this story could have access to this is if he, in, if he interviewed Jonah after the fact. And Jonah told him, here's what I prayed in the belly of the beast. Here's my intricate poem that I wrote. And by the way, he didn't have pen or paper. He didn't have light. He didn't even have oxygen. He's, he's in this beast composing this amazing Hebrew prayer. And we're going to spend some time looking at this Hebrew prayer this morning. And, and what we're going to find out is we see a man who has brought great, horrible tragedy upon his life, like we looked at last week, where we see that Jonah has become a wrecking ball in his life. He's brought utter ruin to his life. He's brought utter ruin to the lives of those around him. And now he is in the belly of this fish. And he's at the end of his rope, literally. And he prays. Anybody been there? Perhaps you got bad news from the doctor and it led to uh, increase in your prayer life that nothing else could ever bring about. Perhaps you were experiencing a difficult time in your life with relationships with your children or your grandchildren or your spouse, and it brought about an increase in your prayer life like nothing else had. You know where you go and you buy a book or you watch or listen to a sermon and everybody's like, oh, you need to pray, you need to pray, you need to pray. Here's five rules on how to pray better. Here's... And what really seems to finally jumpstart our prayer life is when we're in the belly of the beast. That's what Jonah experienced. And if we look at his prayer, number one, remember what we said last week, that if Jonah was a one-chapter book, it's a tragedy. And God sent a fish, and it swallowed Jonah. We know nobody else who has ever survived the belly of the beast. That should have been the end of the story. But for whatever reason, God has more in store for Jonah. And so chapter 2. And Jonah's in this beast. And he starts to pray. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Now, the way Hebrew poetry works is that it usually is two verses, and they say the same thing a little differently. So did you hear how it was saying the same thing, but a little differently? In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, in my great distress... I called, and he answered me. He listened to me. It's saying the same thing. It, it, it expands it a little bit. If you have another uh, version of the Bible, if you have another translation of the Scriptures, you might see a Hebrew word there. It's sheol, and that's what's translated in what I read today, the realm of the dead. 
And if you recall, Jonah's movement in chapter 1 has been to go down to Joppa, to go down to the ship, to go down in the ship, to go to sleep, to go down into the waters. And now he's down in the belly of the beast, and the belly of the beast is the realm of the dead. This is as deeply down as one can go. And it's there that Jonah calls out to God. And did you notice what he said? I called out to the Lord and you answered me. I called out to the Lord and you listened to me. There's an important lesson here for us because if you're like me, you're an American. Well, some of you aren't, but uh, you're pretty close. And you tend to believe, like I tend to believe, that life should go smoothly. Life should go well. And when it doesn't go smoothly, when it doesn't go well, something's wrong. And when that occurs, it's surprising to us for whatever reason. And when that happens... We think, I must have done something wrong. I've done something to deserve this. Perhaps I brought this upon myself. And in Jonah's case, absolutely, he brought this upon himself. But oftentimes we use this, these bad experiences, these difficulties in our life, and we go and we say, where are you, God? I cry out for help and you don't listen. I cry out and you're not paying any attention to me. But Jonah comes along and he says, you know, I'm confined in the belly of the fish. I can't see. The smell is awful. The sounds are strange. I call to the Lord and he's here. He listens. This is so contrary to how we think. We think if things are going poorly in our life, God must be against us. But the scriptures teach otherwise. In fact, if we keep reading this passage, we will see here where verse 3 says, You hurled me into the depths, says Jonah. But if you've read chapter 1, who hurled him into the depths? Wasn't it the sailors? Didn't didn't they uh, begrudgingly throw Jonah Overboard, But here Jonah says, you, God, you, Yahweh, have thrown me into the sea. This can be very troubling for us because we tend to think, you know, well, you're saying that the bad things that happen in my life are because of God, and I'm not saying that. In fact, this text is not saying that. But it is saying that when difficult, horrible, distressful things happen to us, God is working in the midst of those things. There's a, a book, it has the title, it's a wonderful title, it's called A Severe Mercy. And that's what Jonah is experiencing here in the belly of the beast. He's coming to see that this horrific, horrible experience brought on by his own bad choices and behavior is a severe mercy of God. God is going to use his poor choices to redeem him. God is going to use what Jonah thought was a good idea and what God was utterly opposed to, to help him out. Perhaps you are in this place 
I know for the last year that's been the place I've been in. As a result of choices I've made, as a result of things I've done, it brought me to a point. I'm still at that point where God, I hope and pray and trust, is working things together for my good. Romans chapter 8, right? And by the way, don't use this too soon in people's tragedies, this verse. Because it can cause lots of pain if you come along and go, well, you know, all things work together for those who love Jesus and have been called according to his purposes. And sometimes so the pain is so great, we just want to smack people in the side of the head when they say that to us. And people mean well, but there's lots of times we don't know what to say. For years, I've thought that churches need to have hug and kisses ministries. And before you go, ooh, weird, what's he talking about, especially during the age of corona, what I mean is this. We need to show up and we need to give a hug and chocolate kisses to people going through difficult times and keep our mouths shut. My folks said it very well when I was a child. If you don't know what to say, don't say anything at all. And when a person is going through trauma or grief or difficulty, and you just think to yourself, I don't know what to say, but I need, you know what? Don't say anything. Just show up with a hug and a kiss. So Jonah is going through this difficult time. It's been brought on by his own horrible choices, but we also know that terrible things happen to us that we didn't bring upon ourselves. Makes me think of Joseph in Genesis. His brothers decided, let's toss this guy into this cistern, into this empty well, and let's kill him. And then they thought, no, let's make some money off of him, and they sell him into slavery. And Joseph has done nothing wrong, and yet he is in Egypt, and difficult things happen to him there. Or Daniel, the prophet who is in Babylon, and he's there because not of his own sin, but because of the sin of his parents and grandparents and the generations of Hebrew people before him. And it led to the exile, and now they're in Babylon, and Daniel is in Babylon as a teenager. And he's living out the experience, the poor decisions of generations before him. In fact, he'll die in Babylon. He'll spend his entire life far from the homeland. Not because of his own sin, but because of the sin of others. And how are we to respond when we are in dire straits, either by our own making, because that often happens because of sin in our own life and bad bad choices and horrible thinking like Jonah experienced, or because of the sin of others and the bad choices of others, we can often find ourselves in the same circumstance. If we keep reading, we'll see how we're supposed to pray and experience these times in our lives. Verse 4, I said, now Jonah is in the belly of the well and he's talking to himself, right? I would do this. I do this a lot, even when I'm not in the belly of a beast. But here he is. I said, I'm talking to myself, I've been banished from your sight. Pretty accurate description of where he's at. I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. What Jonah is saying is, I have been running away from God, going to Tarshish, and now, God, if you'll give me a chance, I'm going to turn 
and return to you. And his language for this is the holy temple. He uses this phrase twice in this passage because that's where Hebrew people believed God dwelled on earth. His presence, you may have heard of it, the Shekinah glory that was in the Holy of Holies. That was God's presence that dwelt amongst the people of Israel. It was there, located at the temple. And Jonah is saying, if you will spare me, I will go there. I will return to you. And it's so different than what he's been doing throughout the entire book. It's so different than all of his behavior thus far. He's gone down to Joppa. He's gone down to the ship. He's going to Tarshish. And now he says, all right, God, I'll return to you. When we find ourselves at the end of our rope, when all things are working against us, I think these things, these experiences in our lives are designed to turn us back to God. He keeps on talking to God. He says in verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And I often thought, it's so weird that all of a sudden he starts talking about idolatry here. (laughs) And the Old Testament is full of this discussion about idolatry. And if you're like me, there's lots of times I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get this whole idolatry thing. Like the people at Mount Sinai, there's this lightning and thunder show happening at the top of the mountain. Moses has been gone for 40 days, 40 nights. We don't even know if the guy's alive. Hey, Aaron, let's make an idol. And I'm like, what? Why are they wanting an idol? What is this about? What is going on in their hearts? And remember, when we read the Bible and we come to these weird places, they're important. What's weird is important in the Bible. And when we read the scriptures and we think, how on earth could anybody with the presence of Yahweh up on top of the mountain right in front of them decide, eh, let's turn our backs to that God and worship another? How on earth could anybody in their right mind do that? And we're supposed to read it and we're supposed to see in the pages of scripture a mirror and it's us. Because we happen to have a far more powerful symbol than a mountain. And this symbol is all over this building, the symbol of the cross of Christ. And yet how often do we turn away from Christ and turn towards other things for our salvation? What do you mean by that, Steve, our salvation? Well, are you really trusting in Christ? Are you really trusting in Christ like how, I, how jo- Jonah goes on and says here at the, ver- at the very end of verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord, he says. You see, many of us are trusting in other things for our right standing in society, for our righteousness and our, our good name and our good reputation. We're trusting in all sorts of things outside of Jesus Christ for those things. 
And what we often do is we make good things, things that are meant to be wonderful and things that we're meant to experience and enjoy in this life, we make good things into ultimate things. And we make these things into idols. And if those things were to be removed from your life, if they were to be taken from you, how would you respond? Would it be the end? Would there be no hope? If your good name was ruined, if your reputation was destroyed, if your bank account, your checking account was all washed out, if your family was wiped out, if your livelihood was gone, if your health left, if your mind and your mental state, you had that no longer, what is it that you are holding on to for your righteousness, your salvation, that's not Jesus? You see, the gospel, the good news of Christ, isn't just for those who have never heard it and experienced salvation of Jesus Christ. It's for all of us. And every day we must preach to ourselves the gospel that salvation comes from God alone. <clears throat> One of the great idols in our land nowadays is politics. Are we putting too much hope on the right candidate, on the right policies, on the right justices, on the right laws? and the right rules. You see, no matter who wins in November, Jesus is king. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. How do I know that? Because I read the Bible, and I read it all the way to the end. And in Revelation, I find out that there is one king, one rightful ruler of all creation, and salvation comes from him alone and no one else. What are you trusting in? Jonah was trusting in his wisdom, his choices, his thought that I can run away from God. I can outrun God. I can get away from God. I can make these decisions. I can make these choices. And none of us are like Jonah in this regard. We all are making decisions that we think are the best decisions. We all are making choices that we think will lead to life. But if they don't make space for God, if they're not following faithfully Jesus, if they're not allowing the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then the scriptures tell us that all these ways that seem like they will lead to life for us actually lead to our death. I think that's what the book of Jonah is supposed to tell us. Jonah thought, to lose my life serving Yahweh in this way, terrible idea. I'm going to go my own way and find my life. And what he found was a storm. And what he found was a fish. And what he found was the end of his rope. Whatever you're trusting in to bring you healing from your pain, whatever addiction you have that you run to whenever you feel things are upset in your life and you want some calming in your life, whatever you're running to that's not Jesus, 
It's leading to a place. And that place is Sheol. It's the realm of the dead. It's the belly of the beast. It's the darkness. It's leading to your destruction. But if you will turn to Christ, no wonder Jesus pointed to this exact place in the story of Jonah and said, the Son of Man will be in the belly of Sheol for three days, but I will rise. You see, what killed Jesus, what destroyed the Son of Man, brought you and I life for those of us who trust in him. So may we trust him. And may we, like Jonah, compose wonderful prayers of salvation to our God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words, this experience of getting to read of one who disobeyed you and ran from you. And you still met him with such grace. Father, for those of us who find ourselves in the darkest places in our lives, in the most difficult places in our lives, and we don't think there's hope, help us to know that there is wonderful, great hope. There's always hope with you. And your grace meets us at the lowest places of life. There is no sin that we can participate in, no thing that we can do that is greater than your grace. Help us preach the gospel to ourselves this week and to trust Christ. Holy Spirit, make it so. Amen.